0: Do you like being alone? Maybe, right? There's some personality differences in people that some people are over here and, and they kind of they don't mind being alone. And there's some people that really like to be around other people. But even those that, that like to be alone, that only can last so long, right? There's a point where you want to be around other people again. There's a point where you kind of you snap and you go, no, I need, I need some people around me. Jill and I recently watched a show called Alone, and it's, it's actually kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it a game show, but um, it's a competition that they send these 10 people out into the wilderness, and whoever can survive out in the wilderness the longest wins half a million dollars. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? And I remember as I went into it, I, it, it as we started watching the first episode, I'm like, you know, I think I could do this. I mean, I wouldn't want to be away from my wife for that long, but, but I think I could do this, and... As I watched, I slowly started to realize, no, I can't do this. It takes a lot of skill to survive in the wilderness alone. And this particular uh, uh, one that we were watching was, they were put out in the Arctic. So literally, northern Canada, there's this big lake up there, and they scattered the 10 people around the lake, and they had to survive as long as they could on their own without any help, without anybody else helping them. So over time, people start. To start to get kicked out, start to leave, right? They start to give up. And uh, it's for different reasons. You know, somebody gets hurt. They hurt their leg, and you can't do much with a broken leg trying to survive alone in the wilderness. So they call on the sat phone, and they get taken out, right? Uh, later on, you know, some people get sick. You eat um, you eat some bad fish, and you don't want to be dealing with that, and so you they, they, they leave. Some people actually get taken out of the game by the by the people running it because they lose too much weight, right? The, the company doesn't want anybody to die on TV. And so uh, they actually they have regular med checks where they weigh them. And if you've lost too much weight, then you have to leave. But there's another reason people leave. Because they can't take being alone anymore. There's people that have families, right? They have a husband or wife with kids at home. And, and I remember one guy talking about it, and it had been like 35 days or something. He's like, what am I doing out here? <laughs> like, I'm, 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 you know, like, yeah, the money would be nice, but I don't want to be away from my family anymore. And, and you notice as people, the more and more people are alone, the weirder, the weirder they start to get, right? You start to act a little funny when you haven't been around anybody else, and so they're videotaping themselves doing crazy things. And, and, and it shows us this idea that we were not meant to be alone. And that's what I want to talk about today is this idea of community, this idea of togetherness, that we, we need one another. And this all fits into this bigger picture of this series that we've been going through, Essential Church. We've been looking at what is, is essential to church. As, as we are a church here, what do we need to be doing that is essential to be a church? And so we started out talking about our calling as believers in Jesus, that our calling is to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. And then that led into the purpose of this church right here, this local church that we have here, this, this organized church. What, what is our purpose? And we talked about how our purpose is to equip God's family for God's mission. The reason why we're here today, the reason why I'm up here preaching is to equip you for the mission that Jesus has given you out of Matthew 28, right? To make disciples, to go to the people around you, bring them into God's family and build them up as followers of Jesus. So we're here at church to get equipped to go do that mission. And it takes three essential things to do that. Biblical truth, obedient living, and Christ-like serving. And so that's kind of the, the principal idea. But then, then we get down into the actual like day-to-day, what kind of things do we do as a church to make sure that that happens? And Pastor Bob last week talked about Sunday worship. Sunday worship is an essential, a crucial part of getting equipped for God's mission. And he talked about all the things, the reason why we do this and what we do in Sunday worship that's important for that purpose of the church. And so today I want to talk about small group communities, the reason why we need to gather in smaller groups together to be equipped for the mission that Jesus has given us. But as we talk about small groups, I want to start by giving the reason why. Why community? Why is this important? It's easy to think, you know, our, especially our, our, our American and especially Northwestern American attitude of, of doing, do it yourself, do it on my own, I don't need anybody else, I can do this. And yet that's not what God's Word tells us. We need people. So, why community? First I want to look at, at a bigger picture of the whole Bible, the story of the Bible, that shows us why we need community. And then we're going to zoom in to a particular passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that shows us why we need community. So to start out, let's talk about God. God himself is a community. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that before because it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's true, right? If you you believe um, the doctrine of the Trinity, then you believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he is a community within himself. We see this all the way back in Genesis when God talks about creating humans. Let us make man in our image, our likeness. We even see earlier this idea of God creating the heavens and the earth and then distinct from God, but still God is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. We see this idea developed throughout the Old Testament implicitly, but then in the New Testament, it's explicit, right? The baptism of Jesus, we see all three there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about his Father. He talks about sending the Spirit after him. The New Testament authors talk about this as well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's not just a three-in-one God. There's more to it than that. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 17. This beautiful prayer that he prays in front of the disciples to his Father. And a couple of the phrases he says in there, he says that they may be one as we are one. As, as him and the Father are one, that, that the disciples would be one. And then eventually that all followers of Jesus would be one. But he also says this in verse 24 of chapter 17. Because you loved me, before the foundation of the world. It's not just a community, it's a loving community that God is. So the very nature, the very character of God reflects this idea of community together. But what about us? Were we created for community? We go back to Genesis, and over and over and over again, God creates and orders the universe, and it's good It's good. He creates animals, he creates humans, and it's very good. But then we get to chapter 2, verse 18, and there's one thing that's not good. Out of all he created that was good, there's one thing that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Now we see this worked out immediately into marriage, right? This husband and wife coming together in marriage. But it continues on after that as well. The first commission that is given to Adam and Eve, is to be fruitful and multiply. To have kids. And they'll have kids. And then these people will be this community together. We were made to be together. This is reflected in, in Israel. Abraham, who was one person, but he wasn't just chosen to be one person, right? He was chosen to give birth to a nation. Right? That from him and his wife would come descendants, as numerous as the stars. And that this would be the nation of Israel whom God would reveal himself through to the world. And it is a people, not just a person, but a people. And a people that are organized into tribes and clans, families together. This continues on even till we, when we get to the church. And we get this picture of the church very early on after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. 3,000 people are saved. And then we get to this description at the end of Acts chapter 2 that shows us what the church, the early church looked like. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions And belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see this picture of the early church, people eating together right? They're, they're, they're hearing the apostles' teaching. They have this fellowship together. They're eating together. Um, they have all things in common. They're selling their possessions and providing for each other. They're going to the temple together. You see this togetherness or this community that the early church has. And we see it throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. Paul, the rest of the New Testament is a bunch of letters written to churches, right? And even the ones that were written to individuals like Timothy and Titus were meant to be read to the whole church, this idea of, of this community of Jesus followers. Not just individual Jesus followers, but community of Jesus followers. And when I say community, what do I mean by that? That's a broad word that can mean a lot of different things. And so just to, just to make sure we're on the same page, when I say community here this morning, I'm talking about a smaller community. Not like a neighborhood or a city community, but, but that smaller, small group community that's together. That idea of koinonia the Greek word, we often translate it as fellowship, but the sharing, participation, this togetherness. That's what I mean when I say community, and that was the community of the early church. Even in the midst of, of writing letters to a church in a whole city, there's also we see these house churches, these smaller groups of people meeting together. that have faith in Jesus, growing in their faith in Jesus together. So uh, We see this idea of community throughout the Bible. This is an important part, right? And this is a way of saying, well, the Bible tells us that community is important, so we should do it, right? But there's more to it than just that. And as we get into Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see a couple verses there that show us why God has created us for community and why having community together is so important for our walk with Jesus. And so let's go to, to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in a specific couple of verses, but I want to give you a, a bigger picture of the whole chapter first so that we know, we know what's going on, we know where it's coming from. So Hebrews chapter 10, the, the first half of it is all about Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. Jesus has given his life on the cross, and this is the, the blood sacrifice, right, that we needed to be absolved of our sins, Right? To be forgiven of our sins, we needed a Jesus once and for all sacrifice. So he talks about how that sacrifice and, and talks about, connects it to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But it's this idea, it's this gospel message, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Then we get to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh. Do you remember what happened that day that Jesus died? When he died, there was an earthquake and the veil that separated the presence of God in the temple from everyone else was torn. Jesus made a way for us to be in the presence of God once again. That's what he accomplished there. And so that's, that. that's the context that we're getting in here. Okay, Because of that, Now, this is what we're going to do. There's three phrases here, three lettuce phrases. You could call it the Christian salad, okay? Uh, But it's not, don't get confused. That's just to help you remember. It's not lettuce, it's let us. I don't know. I thought it was funnier, apparently, but... So these three let us phrases. We're going to start with the first one in verse 22. And these are all leading toward this this one that's going to be all about this community that we need. So the first one in verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because we've been washed, because we've been cleaned, now let us draw near to God. I mean, this is what it's all about, right? Jesus died on the cross so that we could be one with God again, so that we could be in relationship with him again. So if if Jesus has died for our sins, what do we do? We draw near to God. And then the second one comes in, in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold on to what you believe. And I think this is important as we draw near to God. Because drawing near to God is a fearful thing to do. What I mean by that is every time you hear about somebody in the Old Testament that finds themselves in the presence of God, apparently it's really terrifying. (laughs) And they just assume that they're dead, right? Okay, I guess I'm dead. Um, Being in the presence of God, as, as sinful human beings, that doesn't work. We can't do that. The holiness of God, because of the holiness of God, we can't do that. And so as followers of Jesus now, as we draw near to God, hold on to what you believe. And what do you believe? You believe that Christ died for your sins. It's important to keep remembering that as you draw near to God, because it can be a fearful place to come into the presence of a holy God. So remember what Jesus has done for you, that you can have confidence to enter that holy place. So those are the first two statements. And now we get to the third, and it's going to bring in another aspect that's really important to this whole thing. What does it say here in verse 24 and 25? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, I think with the first two phrases, draw near to God, hold on to what you believe, that we often think of just doing that alone, right? This is where we get the individual Christianity, my personal relationship with Jesus, I, I come, you know, I draw near to God and I hold on to what I believe. And so often we, we stop there. But this third phrase brings in a really important part. Let us consider one another. It's not just about you. It's about the person on your right and the person on your left. We weren't meant to do this alone. We were meant to do this with other people. And I think that connects to the other two, that as we draw near to God, as we hold on to our faith, we actually need to do it in community with other people. We need other people involved in this as well. There's a few things going on in this verse that I want to draw attention to, and I actually I, I rephrase them, maybe a way that you can remember it. And, it. and it starts in the middle, it's a little out of order, but I'll explain why. It starts with be together, grow together, go together. So you can remember that. I almost got the alliteration, but I couldn't think of it. Be together, grow together, go together. So we start off with be together, which is right in the middle here, right at the beginning of verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Apparently at that time with the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to, people were kind of like, it doesn't matter. We don't need to get together anymore. I understand my faith. I believe in it, and I'm good. And it can be easy to think that way. But he's saying not neglecting to meet together. Now, what does this refer to? Initially, I actually would have thought that this is talking about something like our Sunday morning service here. And I think a lot of people think that way. And not that it doesn't apply to that at all. But as Pastor Bob and I were putting this series together and looking at these things, um, he he actually talked about how this verse really fits better with this idea of small group community. Because of the other things that it's talking about— the other things are things that it's, it's hard to do in a place like this on a Sunday morning worship service. Now don't get me wrong, this is very important. Pastor Bob talked about that last week. It is important that we come together and in one voice worship God together. And it's a great relational connection point. It's a great way to make connection with other believers so that you can step into a smaller group community with one another. But what this really is talking about is is those smaller communities, because that's where that growth is really going to happen. So the first one is be together. But what do you do when you be together? Go back to the beginning. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We be together so that we can stir up one another to love and good works. But what are we talking about with that? What is that idea, what does stir up mean? As you look at it, actually, a, a better word, well, it's kind of a better word to use, would be provoke. Some of your translations probably say provoke. The problem with provoke is we usually think of provoke as a negative thing, right? You're probably used to being provoked. Um, you've probably seen people be provoked. If you ever get on social media, that's all everyone, anyone is doing to one another is they're just provoking each other, right? In a negative way. It's not a positive way. Um, And and there's actually a different Greek word that's used in that negative way. You go back to Ephesians chapter 6 where it says fathers do not provoke your children to anger. It's a different word that's used than it's used here. And so that's why um, in ESV they translated it stir up. They wanted it to be a more positive thing. But it is this idea of positive, provoking, sharpening, stimulating, right? You're, You're kind of poking someone. You're pushing them a little bit. For what though? And this is really important. For what? Does it say consider how to provoke one another to your own opinions and ideas. No, it doesn't say that. It's actually, it's action-oriented, isn't it? To love and good works. Provoke one another to love and to good works. That as we get together in these smaller groups, as we have this community together, we're called, we're supposed to be pushing each other, provoking one another to, to live our lives out as Jesus has called us to. You see, unfortunately, it's too easy to get together and talk about the Bible and agree about what it says. What's hard is to actually do something about it. And and this is what we're called to do when we get together, is to push one another and say, what are you going to do about that? If that is true, how does that affect, how does that change your life? That's how we grow, right? That's why this is grow together. Be together, grow together. We need to push each other to actually put these things into action, to take what we believe and to live it out in our day-to-day life. And we need, we need people around us that are going to help us do that, people around us that are going to push us into doing that. So we've got be together, grow together, and then the third one is go together. Or you could say keep going together. And that's what the last section here, it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near encourage one another. And the reason why I said go there is because when I think of encouraging one another, I think of movement. If you're going to encourage someone, you, you think of that they're moving in a direction, whether physically or just in their life, they're, they're moving and you're encouraging them to keep going. And the truth is, in the world that we live in right now, pretty much everything out there in the world, uh, TV, uh, commercials, People, um, all, of, all of the stuff out there are discouraging me in following Jesus. And so I need people around me that are going to encourage me to follow Jesus, right? I need that group of people that are going to encourage me to keep going, keep walking this path. That, that saying, we're doing it too, we believe these things too, and we're going to keep going. We need people in our lives that are going to encourage us to follow Jesus, And that's why we need this community. That's why we need smaller groups of people that are together. Because this this kind of thing can't happen on Sunday morning alone. We need it to happen in these smaller groups of people that have relationship with one another. That you can push one another to love and good works. You can provoke one another to living out their faith. And you can encourage people to continue walking in their faith. That's why this is so important. And this is the main idea of what I wanted to talk about today, was the why. Why should we have community? And I think it's right there in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, because this is how we follow Jesus. We don't do it alone. We do it together. And you might, you might already be part of a small group. And if you are, I want to encourage you to step even further into that, to recognize how important this is for your walk with Jesus, to be committed to it, to be consistent to it. But maybe you're not part of a small group. Maybe you don't have that smaller community that meets on a regular basis that you can encourage one another and provoke one another. Maybe you don't have that. I want to encourage you to find that. And I want to, I'm going to talk at the end a very specific action that you can do to get involved in one of the small groups here. But for now, just be thinking about, is that something you should do? Is that something you're ready to step into? Because it's so important for our walk with Jesus. So that's the why of community. But now I want to I talk a little bit about the how. What does this actually look like on a day-to-day basis? Because that's all vague and this idea of small groups. So What are you going to actually do when you get together? So there's a few principles that I want to talk about. These are a few um, descriptions, characteristics of what a small group should look like. The first is relationally focused. The whole big thing about community, right, is this relationship that we have with each other. And so it should be relationally focused. So to give you an example of of what not to do is um, over here, let's say you've got this, this Bible study. I'm not saying Bible studies are bad, but think about a Bible study that's very focused. It's almost like a Bible college class. You just get together, you talk about the Bible, and you leave. Now to some people that sounds good, but you're missing something there, right? It needs to be relationally focused. There needs to be that element of getting to know each other of encouraging, right, of of finding out what's going on in their lives, of of sharing a meal together. Those are important aspects of this relationally focused small group. On the other end, though, it does need to be biblically centered. If you're just over here getting together with your your buddies for Monday Night Football and calling that a small group, I don't think that works, right? You can do that, that's fine, but don't call it a small group. It needs to be biblically centered, right? We're growing in our relationship with Jesus. We need to be focused on God's word. So relationally focused, biblically centered. There's actually a tool that connects to to this whole thing that I want to share with you really quickly. It's one that we've talked about a lot with our small groups, and it's the five W's. So with the five W's, it starts with welcome. Welcome is that idea, that relationally focused, Focused idea, right? You're, you're welcoming people in, people in. You're eating together. You're sharing each other's lives. You're getting to know each other. It's, it's relationally focused. So, welcome. The second is worship. And that doesn't mean that you have to sing songs together, but what it means is that your, your posture, this, the posture of your small group, is one of worship to God. That you guys are, are vertically looking up, saying, This is an act of worship to God when we come together in a small group. The third is word. We need to be focused on God's word. I, I already talked about that, right? But we need God's word to be a main part of this small group. The fourth one is work. And that doesn't mean you need to go, you know, help, help your small group leader mow their lawn or something like that. It could, but what it means is that there needs to be application out of this small group. It means that, just like we talked about, stir one another up toward love and good works. It means that we need to do something with what we believe. And the small group should provoke, should push you to do that, to that work of being a follower of Jesus. And then the last one is witness. We have to keep this in the right context, right? This is all going toward that greater mission that Jesus has given us. If you remember what we've talked about in essential church, this is, this is a place where you get equipped to do something. And what, are, what is that something that you're doing? It's the mission. To go to the people around you, bring them into God's family and build them up as followers of Jesus. And so in the context of the small group, you should be encouraging one another to be doing that mission. A great way to do this is for everyone in the group to pick one person that they 're praying for, to have opportunities to build a relationship with, to share Jesus with. Everybody in the group picks has that person, and then you pray for each other about that. Pray that they would have the opportunity to build that relationship, to share Jesus with that, that neighbor, that coworker, that friend that doesn 't know Jesus. We have to keep the mission in front of us, even in the midst of these small groups so that 's witness, so those were again welcome. Worship, word, well, yeah, welcome, worship, word, work, witness. Another characteristic of these small groups is care and belonging. A lot of people like church because of the care and the belonging that they feel. They feel like they belong here. This is where their friends are. People care about them. And that's important. But once again, it's hard for that to happen on Sunday mornings alone. It's hard to really get to know people, to really find out what's going on in people's lives. And that's why we need small groups to do this. This is where the real care and belonging happens in a group. Jill and I experienced this firsthand just a month and a half ago. Uh, I had to take Jill into the emergency room. There was some concern about the baby. And um, some of the first people that we texted was our small group. And they were praying for us right away. And it was wonderful to have that group of people that we could rely on that we knew would be praying for us. And ended up nothing was wrong, everything was fine. Um, and maybe you could call that a coincidence, or maybe that was because they were praying for us. And God works through prayer, right? And so it was great to have that smaller group community that would pray for us in the midst of that and uh, and would follow up afterwards, how are things going, can we bring you a meal, can, what's going on, that kind of stuff. That only happens in those smaller group communities. And the last characteristic here is support and encouragement. We already talked about this in Hebrews chapter 10, right? Encourage one another. In a world full of discouragement to follow Jesus, we need encouragement to follow Jesus. And a small group can help you do that. And you can help others in the small group to do that as well. So this is, is kind of the principled idea of what a small group looks like. But There's a few things I want to add in the end. With a small group, it needs to be small. So your small group of 50 people doesn't work very well, right? It, probably 15 or less You get much over 15 and people get lost, and and they miss out on that care and belonging, that support and encouragement. They miss out on the provoking, right? So it needs to be somewhat small. Another thing about small groups is that they're not necessarily easy. A lot of people look at this as as a night out with their friends, this will be great. And then after a few weeks or a couple months, they give up because it's not what they thought it was. They're not enjoying it like they thought they would. But it's not just about you enjoying it. I certainly hope you enjoy your small group. But sometimes it's hard. There's weeks where you don't want to go. There's weeks where just everything's falling apart. You're tired. Maybe the kids are a mess. And the last thing you want to do is go to your small group. But there's two things to remember there. Number one, it's not just about you. You have to remember what you contribute to the group when you're there. People need you there as well to be a part of that group. And that's, that's so important for you to be there. But the second part is that when you're having a really rough week, that's probably the exact place that you need to be. Because you need those people that can support and encourage you, that can, that can provoke you to keep walking with Jesus and living out your faith. Being part of a small group is really important to walking with Jesus. And unfortunately, at times, Christianity has turned into this uh, box-checking idea of go to church on Sunday morning and say that you believe Jesus died for your sins, and then you'll go to heaven when you die, but whatever else happens during the rest of the week isn't that important. That's such a low view of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished so much more that we can step into life with him now. Now that we can step, that we can draw near to God now. But we're only going to do that if we're doing it together. We're only going to do that if we have people around us that can help us, that can provoke us, that can encourage us to keep walking this way. The more you, you walk away from that, the more you neglect getting together, the less your life becomes about following Jesus, and it becomes about whatever else you're involved in and doing. We need people around us. We need community. We need that group that's going to help us to follow Jesus together. And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't have this perfect small group. All these things I just described about a small group, it's not like Ryan's here with the perfect small group and it's so great, but yours isn't that great. No, there's no perfect small group. It takes work. It's hard. And yet it's what God has called us to. It's the design that God had for for following Jesus, was to do it together as a group. And so I want to encourage you to do that. If you're part of one, step into it even more. Be consistent, right? Contribute to it. Know how you can be involved and how it's helping other people. That's so important. If you're not involved in a small group, we actually made this very easy for you. There are cards on the back table behind the last pew that you can fill out to get connected with a small group. Fill one of those out, we'll get you connected with one of these small groups and you can start that that journey that I've talked about this morning. Maybe you're not sure, maybe your schedule's crazy, at least do this. I talked about it last week during the announcements. We have an option on that card of, of a Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe you're not sure about joining a small group right now, at least sign up and get together with some people in the church for Thanksgiving this year. And you might get a little bit of a taste of what God has called us to in that community with other believers. So, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, that day, approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us to your son's sacrifice on the cross, that we can draw near to you, that we can draw near to your presence, that we can be with you and have a relationship with you again. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would draw near with that confession in our hands, Lord, knowing what Jesus has done for us, remembering that constantly. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't do it alone. I pray that we would do it together, that we would recognize the importance of this community that you've given us, that we would recognize the importance of walking together with other followers of Jesus to grow closer and closer to you and to each other and that we would see the blessing and the gift that that is to to not be in this alone, but to have a community of people around us. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.